Today, what I want to focus on is I want to focus on what does it mean to be a Methodist? What does it mean to be a Methodist? I know many of you have been a Methodist your whole life. Many of you probably grew up in the Methodist church since you were children. I'm grateful that we are starting to have some new members joining us. And so because of that, I want to go over this and talk to us a little bit about what exactly does it mean for us to be a part of this church? Why are we here as a church? So what does this mean? What does it mean to be a United Methodist member? The two scriptures that we read, the first one from Isaiah is the very scripture that Jesus Christ read in the synagogue in Nazareth. In Nazareth, he read that scripture, and they got so angry at him, they wanted to push him off the mountainside. Talks about his mission. He revealed what he was going to do. Matthew chapter 28, we read about the Great Commission, in which even many of Jesus' disciples, as they were coming to worship him, and he was about to give them that Great Commission, many of them, they even doubted who Jesus Christ was. But yet, in their doubt, Jesus Christ revealed to them what their mission is. And that mission that Christ revealed to them and that mission that Christ spoke of what he was to do is the very same mission that we, as the United Methodist Church, that we set ourselves upon, and that is what we are to do. As you all know, I came from the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, and this is something that we focus on because the Christian and Missionary Alliance is a, it did not start out as a denomination. It started out as a mission group of many different denominations coming together for the purpose of missions because Dr. A.B. Simpson, he was a Presbyterian pastor and he saw that his church was no longer reaching out to the poor, was not reaching out to other people anymore and they were comfortable in their own church and so they were not using that time to really reach out with the gospel to other people. And so he, he resigned from his position as a Presbyterian pastor, and he started the Christian and Missionary Alliance and for the purpose of reaching out to the poor, reaching out to other people with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is pretty much very similar to exactly what we do here at the United Methodist Church, is to really reach out to other people with the mes- message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we look upon this and we see this symbol here that's up there, that cross with those two flames, do we know what that means? We've been here for a long time. I'm sure some of us know exactly what that means, right? It was put together, it was made official in 1971, right? The Spirit, okay. Anybody want to, let's have a little discussion here about what this symbol here means? Suffer? Okay, very good. Those are both correct. Anything? Anybody want to take a guess exactly what that means? Every denomination has their own symbol. Christian Missionary Alliance, we have our own symbol. Methodist Church, we have this symbol here. This cross here represents, of course, who? Jesus Christ. And the two flames represent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yep, there we go. The two flames that represents the Holy Spirit and the cross that represents Jesus Christ. And so we as Methodists, every single time, or should I say the United Methodists, as every single time we see our symbol, we are reminded that for us to have a relationship with God, the Father, that we must go through the cross, Jesus Christ, and have the Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Holy Trinity that is with us, that empowers us, 
that guides us throughout our entire life. And Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins. And so that's what that, that's what that symbol up there means to us. So every single time we see that, it reminds us exactly how we are to have this relationship with God. And the reason why it's two flames is because it's because the United Methodist, uh, the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Church became one church back in the 60s. And so that's why there's two flames. So, so um, when, we, when we talk about the Methodist Church, technically, officially, the Methodist Church no longer exists. Officially, it no longer exists. Um, what we are called today is the United Methodist Church. And that's who we are. That's why we're the United Methodist Church, and that's what those two flames represents. It's this coming together, these two groups, the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Church coming together to become one church, one denomination. I believe it was 1968 in the 60s. So what does it mean to be a United Methodist? This is what it says. It says, a United Methodist is a Christian who has professed faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, put his or her whole trust in Christ's grace, and promised to serve him as Lord as a member of the United Methodist Church, a worldwide church that welcomes persons of all ages, nations, and races. So as the United Methodist Church, as we become part of this church, we are Christians who have professed faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is very, very, very important when we talk about Jesus Christ because we have so many different denominations. We have so many different churches. We have so many different um, groups out there, so many different sects out there that they also proclaim Jesus Christ. But the question comes, becomes this, is the Christ that they proclaim the historical Christ of the apostles? Do the Christ that they proclaim to believe in is the Jesus Christ that is revealed through the apostles, through the 12 apostles, those who walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years? Are they proclaiming that Jesus Christ or are they not proclaiming that Jesus Christ? Because there are different denominations who looked upon Jesus Christ and they, they see Jesus Christ as a created being. As a created being. Now that may be their, their belief and their, they have the right to believe in that, of course. But the, apostle, the, the Jesus Christ that is being taught to us through the scriptures, through the historical apostles, never proclaimed that he was a created being being, but rather that he was the son of God. Now, we have different, different religions out there that also believes in Jesus Christ, but they view Jesus Christ as simply a prophet. The, the, the Muslims, they believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't believe that he's the son of God. They see him as a prophet, simply another prophet, simply another prophet of God, no different from Muhammad, no different from other prophets that came before uh, Jesus Christ, no different from Moses, no different from, um, from um, Elijah and different prophets throughout history. And so, like I said, everybody has the right to believe in what they want to believe. Uh, we're not condemning any, anyone's belief, 
But what we're saying is that our belief is that Jesus, this Jesus Christ is the Jesus Christ that is revealed to us through the scriptures, through the canon of scriptures that we, um, we use, which is the 66 books here in um, the Holy Bible, the 66 books. So this Jesus Christ, we believe, is the Son of God. And so when we talk about professing faith in Jesus Christ, this is what we are talking about. We're not talking about Jesus Christ as simply just a prophet. We're not talking about Jesus Christ simply as a teacher of moral laws. We're not talking about Jesus Christ simply as, an, as another, as another um, rabbi or anything of that sort, but we're talking about Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as part of the Holy Trinity. And that it is through Jesus Christ that he is our Savior. He is our Savior. He is the one that redeems us from the bondage of sin. He is the one that justifies us before God, makes us right in relationship with God. And he is the one that restores this broken relationship that we had with God, this broken relationship that took place in the Garden of Eden during the time of Adam and Eve. And so this, it is this Jesus Christ that has restored that relationship with us. And so that's what it means for him to be our Savior, is that through him, he is the one that provides salvation for us and restores us in that re- right relationship. Now, the deity of Christ, the, um, the person of Jesus Christ, has been something that's been debated throughout Christian history. It did not only start recently. It's, it's been debated since the beginning of church history. Even during the times of the apostles, the reason why so many letters were written by the apostles, the reason why so, Paul wrote so many letters to the churches was to emphasize exactly what they believed about who Jesus Christ was. Because during the time of Christ, uh, during the times of the apostles, many, um, many sects came up, many different groups came up. Um, in a Christian sense, we, called them, we refer to them as many heresies that came up. Um, within the church. Um, and so the apostle Paul and many of the apostles, all, all of the apostles during the, the early church history, they had to um, really, really emphasize exactly what it is that they believed about Jesus Christ. Now we have the Gnostic Gospels, and in the Gnostics, when they talk about salvation, they often talk about attaining a special type of knowledge in order for you to have salvation, okay? And so salvation is very limited to the the knowledgeable, to the educated, because they believe that salvation comes through a special type of knowledge. While we also see the Judaizers throughout their, uh, in the early church that they believe that salvation comes through observing the Old Testament laws. And they pushed that in the church. They pushed that a lot in the church to the point that they really did not like the apostles because they saw the apostles, including the apostle Paul, as people who were causing trouble in the church, causing trouble for the Old Testament laws and rules and things like that, causing trouble for the religious groups at that time. That's how they saw these, uh, these apostles, these disciples of Jesus Christ, as pretty much troublemakers in the church. And so they, they so the Judaizers, Judaizers, they saw salvation as coming through the observing of the Old Testament laws. And the Gnostics, they saw through salvation coming through as um, as attaining special knowledge, but as the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through verse 9, that we are saved by what? By faith. By faith. And so, so the apostles, and they all emphasize on faith. Understanding exactly what it means to be saved is to have faith and to, to place this faith 
and Jesus Christ and all of the works of Jesus Christ and everything that Jesus Christ is and, and who Jesus Christ is. And that's what they emphasize on, that we are saved by faith, by faith through grace. And so that's, that's, a, so that's, that's, what, that's the historical uh, view of Christianity is always through faith, always through faith. And it is in that very Bible verse that the Reformation, um, that Martin Luther read, because during the time of, of the Reformation, people were not allowed to read the Bible anymore. And, but Martin Luther, being a monk, he, was able, he, he came upon that Bible verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through verse 9, and he saw that, you know what, it is not by, it is not, you know, we are saved by faith. And it is through that Bible verse that the Reformation took place. The Reformation took place at that time. And so that's what we really emphasize on, that we profess faith in Jesus Christ. And that's who we are. That's who we are as United Methodists. And that we put our whole trust, his or her whole trust, in Christ's grace. Everything is based upon Christ's love. That everything that we have in our own life is based upon Christ's love. We understand that. It's all, some, it's all given to us through the grace of God, through the grace of Christ. From the smallest things to the greatest things. The education that we are able to attain, the positions that we're able to attain in life, the jobs, the careers that we have in our own life, these, these things are all attainable because of the grace of God. We're able to reach these, these certain levels all because of the grace of God. All the way to the most simplest of things that we do in our life is all because of the grace of God. I, I believe I've shared this with our congregation here before that a pastor once says that even for you to, to tie your shoe is dependent upon the grace of God. So from the very simplest of things, the smallest of things, to the greatest of things, all these things are all based upon Christ's grace given to us by God. And so we put our whole trust and we put everything that we do in this. Many people who are not believers of, of the Christian faith, they often credit themselves. Everything is about them, right? I'm able to do this because of my ability. I'm able to do that because of my knowledge. I'm able to attain this because of, of me. Yet as Christians, everything we do is based upon Christ. So we give God all the glory. All the glory as United Methodist Church. We don't focus on ourselves. We don't focus on trying to glorify ourselves, but we focus on glorifying God and everything that we do. And everything is given to God. And it says, it goes on, it says, and promise to serve him as Lord, as a member of the United Methodist Church. This is very important because as Christians, we, we don't only profess our faith in him, we don't only put our trust in him, but, but then we also promise that we will serve him. We will serve Jesus Christ as Lord, as Lord. Now, Jesus Christ says, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say, right? Because that's what Lord means. When we say Jesus Christ is our Lord, then it means that we obey what he says. We're obedient to what Christ says. And that's what we need to understand is that we, when we serve him, that we serve him as according to what he has revealed to us through his word and through his messages and through his commands. And we are due to do this through the United Methodist Church. And there's many, many different ways for us to serve God in the church, here in the United Methodist Church. We just have to explore all those different avenues for us to really serve God. I, I see coming from the Christian Missionary Alliance into the Methodist Church, I actually see that it's much easier 
It's much easier to find a place in the Methodist church than in, in, uh, in the CMA when, where I was from. It's much easier to find a place to serve here in the United Methodist Church, and we make that as easy as possible. We make that as, as um, open as possible, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing because in order for us to really grow as Christians, we need to serve God. That's part of our Christian maturity. That's part of our Christian growth. It's like, um, I often like, I, I like to use the analogy and compare it to people who work out, right? Or, you know, people who work out and exercise and things like that. Or people who eat. Let's say people who eat. You eat all the time, but you never work out. What's, what's going to happen to you? <laughs> right. So when we're serving God, when we're serving God, it's like we're, we're working out. You know, we're working out. When we're eating, it keeps us, it keeps us healthy. You know, it keeps us healthy when we eat uh, good food. Um, but, you know, so many people come in the church and they eat all the time. They listen to the word of God all the time. But all they do is they just sit in the pews and they never do anything with it. They never go out and they never serve God. They never serve the church or anything like that. And so when we don't do that, we just end up like those people who eat all the time and never work out, you know. That's how we are, which I, I kind of do. But <laughs> yeah, So that's, that's, that's what it means. So we are to serve God, serve him as as our Lord, so we're to be obedient to him. As a member of the United Methodist Church, which is a worldwide church, we're not simply just a local church, but we're connected to all the Methodist church here in the world. We have over uh, 12 and a half million people here in the Methodist church. And I spoke with the monks this morning, and they were surprised about that because um, the monk congregations are very small you know, compared to other monk denominations. But overall, we're very, very big, 12 and a, over 12 and a half million um, members throughout um, the whole world. And I'll go into more details about that later on um, as we progress through this. But, um, so we're all part of this worldwide church. Okay, we're all part of it. And as a worldwide church, we welcome people of all ages. I like one of the things that I really like about um, the Methodist church is that we try to emphasize about having youth members being a part of our committees. Every single committee that we have, even the church council, that we always emphasize and trying to include them as being part of that committee. So we want to hear from them. We want to hear from their point of view. And that's something, so, that's, something that's very, very positive for the United Methodist Church. Coming from, a, uh, coming from um, the Christian Missionary Alliance, especially with a lot of the older Hmong people, they, they, don't want the, they don't want to hear from the youth. <laughs> they don't want to hear from the youth, you know. To them, the youth is kind of naive. The youth is kind of too young, and, you know, we don't want to hear from them. They need to follow us, right? And so that's, that's the Hmong culture. That's the Hmong culture. But, but, and so I really like this. I really like this, that we, we really emphasize on um, bringing the youth along with us and, and, and inviting them, involving them with our decisions in the church and things like that. So that's, that allows us to understand their culture much better. That allows us to understand um, their demographic in a much, much better way. You know, because, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that much older than they are, but it's hard for me to understand their culture nowadays too because it's so different. <laughs> it's so different from when I used to grow, when I, I was going to school, you know, so different. It's a totally different culture, and so in order for me to really understand them, I really have to just sit down with them and just talk to them and, and really try to get to know them, you know. And so um, that's, why, that's why I had Dr. Kam uh, become, be the youth director to work with them because um, he's much younger, so he's more closer to their age than I am. 
And so um, they, they probably see me as an old man now, too. So, <laughs> so it's hard. And so trying to understand the youth, trying to understand their culture is very, very important, the challenges that they go through nowadays. And um, so it's good that we're very inclusive of that, and also of all nations, all nations and all races, you know, all races. It's, it's great to have the opportunity to um, serve in the church and as a pastor and be, being able to serve every single, you know, pe- people, every single group from different ethnic groups, and that's, that's a positive thing. That's a really, really good thing. And the Christian and Missionary Alliance, where I came from, um, if you're a Hmong pastor, you stick with Hmong people. And so you don't, you don't really go, you, know, you, you don't really have the opportunity to go into Anglo congregations and serve them. And so that's, uh, and so um, being part of the United Methodist Church and seeing this inclusiveness is something that's very positive for us, you know, that we're inclusive of every age group of every nation and every race and every ethnic group. And that's what the scripture teaches us in the Great Commission. It teaches us in the Great Commission that word nations there in, there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to verse 20 is actually talking about every ethnic group. If we were to translate that from the, from the Greek word in, literally into, the, into English, then it's actually talking about every ethnic group. That we're to take this message to every ethnic group, not just every nation, because every nation is oftentimes... Um, give us that impression that maybe we just go to every country or so forth. But what, what it's actually talking about is every ethnic group because many times in one, one country there may be many different ethnic groups. Here in the United States, of course, we have that diversity. You know, even in Laos, when, where the Hmong people are from, we, there's so many different ethnic groups just in the country of Laos itself also. You have the Hmongs, the Mians, the Khmers, and you know, the Laotians, and all kinds of different ethnic groups. And so... Um, the message of the gospel is to go to each and every single one of those groups. And so that's something for us to really um, understand. And so our mission, our mission, and this is, I got like 20 slides in here, so if I was to go through 20 slides, I'll take us all night. So this, I think this is my third slide. But um, I'll end at this slide here. And so what is our mission? Our mission is the making of disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And this is, this is what's in our book of uh, discipline. It's taken from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to verse 20, the Great Commission. And so it's very important for us as a church to really sit down together and define exactly what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the context of our church. When someone comes into our church, let's say a youth comes and becomes part of our youth program, you know, right when they start high school, and by the time they're done with that youth program in four years, what exactly do we want them to know? As they're going off to college, what kind of knowledge do we want them to know? So as they go off to college, they'll be able to hold on to their faith. They'll be able to continue in their faith. Because many youth, many youth uh, will leave their faith after high school. After they go to college, they'll leave their faith. About, I believe it's about 70% or so of youth often leave, leave their faith by the time they're 23 years old. And so something that we really have to sit down and really think about, especially if we're involved in the disciple-making ministries of the church, is what does it mean to be a disciple within the context of our church, within the context of our church here in Orville? What does that mean exactly? We can look at scriptures, and we see scriptures that a disciple is someone, someone who's, who hungers after the Word of God, someone who's, who's been transformed in his desires, in his own desires, 
and things of that sort. And though, but all those things are very general. And so in the context of our own church, we really need to, to take those, those generalities and decide on, on how to specify those. How specifically do we want to go? What do we exactly want them to know? Do we want them to be able to, to share their own personal stories? That's one of the things that we need to set you know, for our, our youth is that once, they're, once they start here as, as, um, as members of our church, we want them to be able to share their own personal stories about their own faith with other people. We want them to be comfortable with that. Things, things like that are, are specifics that we need to sit down and we need to really decide on as to how exactly we're going to make disciples. As we see, we are making disciples for the purpose of the transformation of the world, for the transformation of the world. And Jesus Christ believed that transformation is within the church, that the church is what's going to transform the world. When Jesus Christ was walking the earth, one of the things that, that was very challenging towards him was that there, was many, there were many, many sects, many, many different political groups at that time during his, during his um, lifetime. And they were all pulling, we, see, we read the scriptures, they were all pulling him to the side and trying to make him king. What they were searching for was they were searching to make him a political king. But he, was, he didn't want to do anything with that. He wanted to focus on the spiritual aspect. He wanted to focus on the kingdom of God. And he, because he believed that the, that the transformation of the world is done through the church. Is done through the church. And that's, that's why he came to die for the church he didn't die for any political system. He did not die for um, any, any, any big companies or anything, any business or anything of that sort, but he died for the church because he truly believed that it is through the church, through the church, that the transformation of the world takes place. And I, and I hope that we will also have that very same vision that any transformation in this world is going to have to take place through the church, through the body of Jesus Christ. This is how we're going to transform the world. It's through the, by uh, providing discipleship for our children, for, for, by providing discipleship for our youth, uh, for our, our adults, and things of that sort. So this is very, very important for us to understand, is that the reason we're doing this is to transform the world into the will of God, to know God, to know the goodness, the holiness of our very own God. And so I will end this, um, this week I'll end it here, I have a whole bunch of other stuff here, but we'll go over that some other time. So that's my, that's my message for us today. And so hopefully um, that gives us a little background about what does it mean to be a United Methodist. So at this time, it's time for our offertory.